This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina, and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Zach Valenti. I'm your second Bad Ideas host. And that's it for today, because uh, Sarah's out, and uh, we wish her well. Can't wait to have her back. But in the meantime, we have a very exciting special guest, none other than Samuel Long of Singing Land Studios Audio Production, longtime friend of the show, uh, fellow Wesleyan alumni, and uh, you may be better known to longtime fans of the show and of Wolf 359 as a member of Honey and the Sting, featured in Wolf 359. That's right. Welcome to No Bad Ideas. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, our pleasure. Thank you for being on. Before we jump into the chaos, do you want to tell the folks at home just like a little bit more about this um, venture of yours that you are now embarked upon? Sure. Yeah. So Singing Land Studio is my new audio production business. And I'm based here in Western Massachusetts, kind of in the woods in my basement. Love the woods. Love a basement. Yeah. Have really high speed internet, um, which is great here. And uh, I record, mix, and master audio projects ranging from music to podcasts. I have a podcast that I've been running for the past year now, um, where where you just wrapped on season two called the Earth Spirit Voices Podcast. Oh hell yeah! And um, that's that's sort of about uh, pagan spirituality and talking to members of a particular community called the Earth Spirit Community that resides up here in New England. And uh, like Zach said, yeah, your viewers would pro- would probably know me best from uh, Honey in the Sting. And I want to thank you guys and thank the fans for for really pushing uh, the song Paradise Valley to to be almost a, a million listens on Spotify, which is just fantastic. And uh, we're, we're deeply grateful for that. Oh, you guys deserve it. Um, I've often internally and privately felt that one of the best things that we ever got to do with Wolf Tree 59, aside from bringing some much needed spotlight to all the amazing actors and musicians that worked on the show, was to really help you guys go from a band that I think like a very small number of people knew but loved intensely to now like a band that like has gotten just like a little bit more outreach thanks to um, the Wolf Tree 59 fandom who has given it some much, much deserved love. Yes. Well, I love the uh, the show title of show. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but one of their songs is I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing favorite than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. So we are definitely nine people's favorite thing. Thanks to you guys. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about all of this on the back half of the show. Um, But first, we have some bad ideas to tackle. Um, For anyone who is tuning in for the first time, welcome. We're so glad to have you. This is a show where the hosts, 
i.e. today, me and Zach, we find articles or write-ups or perhaps the occasional Reddit post, anything that just kind of captures something that makes you go, my God, somebody had a really bad idea. And then we bring it onto the show. We horrify and stun the other people on the show with our bad idea. And then we give ourselves 10 minutes, just 10 very short minutes to try to say if we were turning this into a good film or a good book or a good television series, how would we do that? What would the pitch be? And Zach, I believe today you have the first word. Do I ever. Oh my God, I'm excited to bring you guys into a brain of a uh, a neurobiologist who hacked mm-hmm. his brain and almost lost his mind. Well, I was very excited and then I was less excited. I was like, oh, this sounds, ch-. no, it doesn't sound chill anymore. I first found this story on Wired, uh, but found a, a slightly more uh, digestible article um, in the MIT Technology Review. And this is actually an oldie, but a goodie from 2015. Phil Kennedy no longer saw any other way to get the data. That was how one day he be- he came to lie blissfully unconscious on an operating table in Belize oh, like this. while a neuroscience ner- neurosurgeon sawed off the top of his skull. No, I really hate this. 67-year-old uh, neuro- neurologist and inventor did something unprecedented in the annals of self-experimentation. Yeah, maybe he should have stayed unprecedented. Maybe we didn't need the president. He paid a surgeon in Central America 25 grand to implant electrodes into his brain in order to establish a connection between his motor cortex and a computer. Why, why, why you got to do my, my, home, my homeland dirty like this article? Like, come on. Why is this the Central American rep that we get? Along with a small group of pioneers, Kennedy had in the late 1980s developed invasive human brain computer interfaces, literally wires inside the brain attached to a computer. And he is widely credited as the first to allow a severely paralyzed, quote, locked in patient to move a computer cursor using her brain. Quote, the father of cyborgs, one magazine called him. Kennedy's scientific aim has been to build a speech decoder, software that can translate the neuronal signals produced by imagined speech into words coming out of a speech synthesizer. But his work carried out by his small Georgia company, Neural Signals, had stalled, Kennedy says. He could no longer find research subjects, had little funding, and had lost the support of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Once you lose the FDA, you know that maybe something's gone wrong. That is why in June 2014, he found himself sitting in a distant hospital contemplating the image of his own shaved scalp in a mirror. Quote, this whole research effort of 29 years so far was going to die if I didn't do something, he says. I didn't want it to die on the vine. That is why I took the risk. This fall, Kennedy presented studies of his own brain at the Society for Neuroscience in Chicago, where his actions provoked both awe and concern among colleagues. By arranging for surgery on a healthy person, even himself in the name of science, he'd likely violated his doctor's oath. Quote, I'm glad he's fine now, says Eddie Chang, a University of California, San Francisco neurosurgeon whose recent work mapping the areas of the motor cortex that control speech helped guide Kennedy's calculations. Quote, I hope he gets some precious, precious data. Mm -hmm. Wow. But I think that kind of gives you enough of 
the bad idea to add some color from the original article I found in uh, the Wired magazine. Um, right after the surgery, his doctor held up a pair of glasses for him and, and asked him, to say, what are these called? And Phil Kennedy stared at the glasses for a moment. Then his gaze drifted up to the ceiling and over to the television. Uh, uh, I, I, he stammered after a while. I, I, oh, I, no. quote, it's okay. Take your time, said the surgeon, Joel Cervantes, doing his best to appear calm. Again, Kennedy attempted to respond. It looked as if he was trying to force his brain to work like someone with a sore throat who bears down to swallow. Meanwhile, the surgeon's mind kept circling back to the same uneasy thought. I shouldn't have done this. Hmm. Wow. And with that disquieting image, I give you 10 minutes. And just to be like, just to, uh, I don't know that I want to understand this better, yes, but like, yes, let's yes. say that I do. What was the purpose of the experiment that he was doing by getting these things installed? Yes. Like, what was Sorry, he trying to figure out? So, so the purpose was basically in order to save his life's work and be able to sure. forward it. He needed to be able to collect more information through some okay, of the... Okay, so it was just, just like reconnaissance. Yeah, and essentially... In order to test the latest and greatest in like invasive brain tech, you need somebody to plug it into and without anybody legally to work on other than himself. And even that being, you know, sort of a gray zone. um, Yeah. Got it. it. Yep. Cool. 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 Yep. Great. All right. You got 10 minutes. Uh, I don't even. I just instinctively like rub my temples because I'm so like upset and then was also like, ah, no, I don't want anything near my head. I thought you were going to go into something more like the Matrix where he's like hacking his brain so that he can learn like Kung Fu or something. Right, 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 right. Yeah, like like memory implantation or something. We can do the Matrix 5. It's true. We just had had four. Why not do five? (laughs) Keanu's probably on for it. (laughs) Because we should quit while we're behind. But go on. But all he was trying to do was move a cursor on a computer screen? I believe that that was well, a, no, no. So that was what that he was had previous previously person. accomplished. That was previous. Just, okay. To set the yeah. record straight on my opinion of the Matrix movies, Matrix Four, second best Matrix movie. Whoa. Okay. We need to get into that later. But okay. We we <laughs> we're on the clock, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the clock is theoretically ticking. Um, <laughs> okay, so if we are following the basic silhouette of what this person did, then like I think that your instinct is correct, Sam. Of like he needs to be. If we want to follow the basic silhouette of the premise of the article, it needs to be something a little bit more extreme that he's doing. Like he needs to be trying to, you know, add like some like robot arms a la Doc Ock. He has to be trying to like remember a memory that he lost. Like there needs to be kind of like something more specific that he's doing. And like he's on the record as sort of thinking through the distant future where we're downloading ourselves onto, you know, cloud-based servers and, you know, uh, restoring movement to paraplegics and all of this. it it sounds like this is a good guy doing good work perhaps in a bad way like you know like i want this research to like continue and to do well i also want it to be done in a way where like you know oversight agencies are like love the way that this is being done not like you know uh, 
by a doctor that immediately regrets it in Central America. Yeah. I could see like a modern retelling of Jekyll and Hyde because it sounds Mm. like he is like, he's like a a good stand-up doctor who has ideas about how to change the future of evolution and, and human psychology or something but then no one wants to take him up on his sort of science science crazy scientific theory of introducing electrodes into your brain so he has to do it himself but i think we would have to change like the ending a little bit where like he becomes he, he he's kind of like this dual personality then where he's like trying to fight with his his computer self and like maybe his computer self has different motives than his his human self it would be interesting if maybe the thing that prompts it is something like, you know, there is, say, like his mentor, a brilliant professor is passing away. He's in a coma. And so he's like, he has so much knowledge. He has so many things. If only he hadn't been in that like horrible car crash, we could still do so much with his brain. I'm going to like use this new experimental technology to like extract some of his knowledge and some of his memories into my own brain. And that works, but it maybe works a little too well because maybe it's not just memories. Maybe it's this entire other personality comes along for the ride. Yes. Wow. And yeah, and like there can you can kind of keep like the Jekyll and Hyde structure of, you know, he is going kind of, you know, about his day. He's like doing really well. He's doing he's having like all these like breakthroughs. But then at night, you know, oh, like a lot of weird stuff is suddenly happening around him. Like, hmm, what could account for this? Also, I don't really remember what happened last night after i had like that one single drink oh boy what do you think about this other personality that's entered him is is this a malevolent sort of personality or is it something that is just a little bit different like um oh god what was that movie where where the the man hears like women's voices in his head all of a sudden Ooh. it's with um oh god well well it would be like he's sort of like he's sort of hearing this like older like professor in his head. So maybe like he's like now drinking like more Ovaltine or something. Sure, (laughs) sure. Like the older kind of thing. But do you think, do you think it's like more malevolent or, or just sort of like a, oh, this is a funny kind of change to your personality? Well, so my point of reference for this would be that uh, Microsoft AI that got put on Twitter and within 24 hours was like, a deep white supremacist monster like it was supposed to be like a teenage girl so like it depends is this thing connected to the internet because if so i don't think so okay good then i think there's a chance for it to be like innocent and curious and not like a cesspool um but i'm afraid that if it is plugged in it is uh, a one-way highway like horrible personality town. It's also one of those things where it's like, what kind of movie is this? Because this, if this is a like meditative six part series on HBO, then, you know, then I think that there's a chance of just kind of like, let us thoughtfully confront the reality of living with another person in your head. And let us kind of like, you know, address this as this is just a like disturbing and unsettling situation, but they're not necessarily evil. 
if this is like a $75 million thriller directed by Michael Bay, probably called like Mind Games or something, then it's like, yeah, like the previously sweet seeming older professor is now like, I will take over this brain. I will live forever by kicking out the original personality and this body will be mine. And I will drive to Mexico to do all the drugs since we're going to keep the vaguely anti-Central American sentiment in the original article for some reason. Jesus. So so what if uh, we, in fictionalizing this, have it be, there was a great, professor and then his protege wants to save his legacy by yeah. like experimenting on himself and then it's like he gets more than he bargained for exactly yeah mm. this seems like um a sequel to like the nutty professor do you guys remember those movies yeah totally totally <laughs> i do <laughs> but it's like the dark reboot mm-hmm. Super dwayne dark. the rock johnson uh. <laughs> Probably like digitally demuscled when he's like, Ooh, you like know, the base Jason level Momoa ad. Oh mm. yeah, totally. <laughs> and then you know, like once like the alternate personality comes on, it's them as they really are. I'll take yep. it. Uh, like the older professor, like wants to get more buff now that he's in like a younger body. So absolutely. like he, he makes the younger version like work out like all the time. Goes to like straight CrossFit protein shakes for every meal. Two minutes on the clock. Where do we build to? What's the uh, the sort of ultimate conflict here? I mean, I think that the ultimate conflict is that, yeah, like it's eventually kind of revealed that this new personality has no intention of sharing their new body or of continuing like the life of quiet scientific desperation that the protege was living in at the start of the movie. And so I think it probably kind of goes to like a little bit of a fight club place of like each time he's blacking out for like longer and longer periods of time. And when he comes to it's in these like increasingly like weird and dangerous scenarios and maybe like his alternate brain is setting up a like secondary operation to remove the like nexus of control from the original personality or something but yeah but i think that it is very much eventually kind of a like fight for the body and is that fight in like the mental space sort of like a tron style battle or is it like a little bit more that fight club scene where he's like spoilers hitting himself but it's not fake. You could kind of do both. Like you could kind of have like this like big, crazy, epic battle in the mindscape. And then every now and then you like cut to like, you know, the like empty classroom where he's just like, eh, eh, just kind of like very lightly hitting himself. Both is good in the 15 seconds you have left. What is it called? And maybe who's it starring? Um, um, How about whose mind is it anyway? Ooh, that I do like. I, love I like that a lot. I love it. And that's time. Well done, you two. God damn. Um, a detail that I left out um, for mm-hmm. not coloring the story too much. There was one major disappointment 
Kennedy had hoped to live with the implant in his brain for years, collecting data, improving his control, publishing papers, but the incision in his skull never closed entirely, creating a dangerous situation. A few weeks after collecting data last January, Kennedy was forced to ask doctors at a local Georgia hospital to remove the implants. The bill came to $94,000 US. Kennedy submitted the claim to his insurance company and they paid $15,000. Kennedy attributes the setback to his decision to build the electrodes extra large and install them at an unusual angle so they would be easier to work with, a decision he now believes was a mistake. Quote, but I got away with it, so I'm happy, he says. I had a few bumps and bruises after the surgery, but I did get four weeks of good data. I'll be working on these data for a long time. That is a disturbingly accurate correct of the phrase bumps and bruises. <laughs> so that was seven years ago, though. Yep. What, what is the is there any follow up that you looked at? I did not. I did not see where Mr. Kennedy is today. I imagine he has transcended this plane um, and will be met in the metaverse by us in several years. But uh, he's well, the first one there. We look forward to sharing a digital entirely uploaded glass of wine with you. Dr. Kennedy, Professor Kennedy, Mr. Kennedy. A quick Google. It does look like uh, the father of the cyborgs uh, documentary film is coming about the man um, sometime in the not too distant future. Well, well, well. All right. I think that's enough of that. Let's move on before we spend the entire time on this man's bumps and bruises. Let me take you far away from all of this for our second idea. Uh, let me take you to the great, great state of California mm. and to the California border specifically, where from the Associated Press, when I bring you an article, uh, which, dear listeners, if you would like to read along, there will be a link to it in the episode description. The headline for our second bad idea reads, Border Authorities Find Reptiles Hidden in Man's Clothing. Oh, God. I hope this isn't like a bunch of hamsters in a trench coat situation. Well, Zach, let's get into the details here. <laughs> the article reads, a man who tried to slither past U.S. border agents in California had not one, not two, not three, not four. I'm just going to fast forward because it'll take a while. Had 52 lizards oh, and snakes hidden in his clothing, authorities said Tuesday. Oh, the my man gosh. was driving a truck when he arrived at the San Ysidro border crossing with Mexico on February 25th and was pulled out for additional inspection. U.S. Customs and Border Protection said in a statement. Agents found 52 live very important word. They are live reptiles tied up in small bags, which were concealed in the man's jackets, pants pockets, and groin area, the statement said. Sounds like fear factor. I've heard of sneaking drugs in your underwear, but never (laughs) live reptiles. In total, nine snakes and 43 horned lizards were seized. Some of the species are considered endangered, authorities said. Smugglers will try every possible way to try and get their product, or in this case, live reptiles, across the border, said Sidney Aki, Customs and Border Protection Director of the Field Operation in San Diego. 
In this occasion, the smuggler attempted to deceive CBP officers in order to bring these animals into the U.S. without taking care for the health and safety of the animals. The man, a 30-year-old U.S. citizen, was arrested. That is the entirety of the article. I do strongly encourage anyone who is curious to hit up the article link because there are some truly astounding photos of various snakes in what can only be described as like little baggies and what honestly looks like a trench coat that there's only one word for it is infested by horned lizards. It is a truly astounding sight. So if anybody would like to check that out, uh, I highly encourage it. But for now, I'm going to turn this 10 minute timer on and let's let's get to work. Hell yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I'm like, do we want to go sort of Harry Potter? Like this is a guy who talks to snakes and is like saving <laughs> his like community and like bringing them to like, you know, that is so much more wholesome jobs. than anywhere that I thought this would go, Zach. Like, does he just want a different life for them? Or is this like, yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, do we want to make it like literally like a bunch of talking reptiles, like get into a trench coat and like, like get like a mask and like try to like illegally immigrate? Uh, I mean, you're right. At that point, it's more reptile than man. Yeah. With, with with 52 animals, it feels like they could put on a convincing person show, right? Like it feels right. like with that volume of living reptile, what you is the could weight fill difference up there? the costume. I have no idea. It depends <laughs> on how young the, like the, you know, these creatures are. Because if true. they're like brand spanking new, they could be real small. Yeah. And like, I mean, the snakes don't seem like the biggest snakes ever. These horned lizards, they're not messing around. Like, they look like they're at least most of the way to a foot big. I got to look up one of these pictures now. <laughs> Here, I will I will send the, I will send them through the... Oh, it's uh, those guys. Chat. That's that's a whole different level because they're super spiky. Yes. And they're crawling around everywhere, I guess, all around this guy. That would be very uncomfortable. It, it, it raises a lot of logistical questions about how he was... What he was planning, how he was doing it, what the, how feasible this even was. Man, what's I'm the also street just like, value of... <laughs> right, like, what does a horned lizard go for these days? <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, is this just, like, for, like, the Instagram flex of having an exotic pet? Do you, like, need them to brew, like, like dangerous drugs and or magic spells? Ooh, That's a great question. Yeah, that is this, is like, cool... some, like, coven's provider? That's a good angle. All right, all right. I'm down for, like, repurposing the, like, heart-rending tragedy of Maria Full of Grace for, like, more entertaining Jesus. magical purposes like i don't like i don't know like that like what's the tone we're going for here boy um i look i lived through maria full of grace one time i don't know if i can live it again yeah, even if only in you know hypothetical storyland maybe this is like the last adventure that he went on you know, mm. this is this is the last sort of smuggling run and he finally got caught. But the story could kind of go before that and tell of different animals and different, um, you know, like what rhino rhinoceros horns are used for like, you know, aphrodisiacs or something. Maybe he, mm. he's he's like this international uh, animal smuggler. And and this is the 
the caper that got caught, you know, it like, like maybe there's, there's a, um, there's someone who's always like just at his heels, like trying to catch him and he finally gets caught at the end or something like that. Yeah. It could be a little like catch me if you can. He has this like relationship mm-hmm. with like the person that is pursuing him over the years. I have to say, like, it seems preposterous to me that this man would ever not get caught because it's one of these, like, as far as I can understand, you know, like he gets to the border, sir, are you bringing any like fruits or vegetables? He's like, no. And then the next question is, sir, your coat seems to literally yeah, be like, crawling. Exactly. With something. I hear a lot of slithering and uh, tongue like yeah. sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I have no idea what you're it's talking about. Scratching places and like, like, like you look a little yeah. uncomfortable there, sir. Uh, uh, do you mind um, getting out of the vehicle? Stepping out of the vehicle, yeah. And as he steps out, like things are like, like animals are like falling on the ground. <laughs> Again, like that seems to be the setup from the article and the photos. Man, but maybe um, it's more of like a Wolf of Wall Street sort of thing where he was like a like a really renowned and like very crafty sort of animal smuggler. And this is like when he's like done so much cocaine or something and like he's like <laughs> bottomed out and now he's just like he's just lost the he's lost the knack for it sure sure Mm. interesting interesting i think that these are all relatively compatible like you know like we are he was like you know for a long time this like hot shot bringer and taker of animals um and you know he developed sort of this like relationship with this like very dogged I guess, border control agent that, you know, he's had to like fool many times, but now he is getting a little bit older and a little bit more beaten down. Is there a component of this that he crossed the wrong coven and is getting his like just desserts in, uh, maybe he's being turned into many (laughs) reptiles slowly (laughs) And so when they find him with like so many of them, it's just like, yeah, because he was like a 300 pound man and is like just like slowly being like metabolized into constituent lizard parts. Whoa. Yeah. Maybe he's like trying to upsell two different covens and like, oh, pitting oh. them against each other. And then they they both find out and like cast a spell on him or something. So how, how about how about um he was a renowned animal smuggler. He uh-huh. uh, basically got discovered by or tapped by like the most powerful underground network of witches in the North Americas. Sure, and, sure. And uh, and the one condition was he had to stop the abusive practices, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he works for the witches now. It's all above board. Like they're giving the animals a good life. And when they die, they use their skulls to like control the world. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, very like no, ethical. Yes. Yes. Ethical no reptiles witches. are hurt. We're in harmed this process. in the making exactly. of the spell. Yeah. But he needs to promise that if he wants this good business and their protection that, you know, he's going to stop his old ways, but he, he, he just can't give it up. He, he you know, once you have one hot tub, in your villa, you need another villa and more hot tubs. When you, yeah, right, like when you give a smuggler a hot tub, he's yeah. gonna want, you know, a <laughs> right. cabana to go with right. it. An Olympic pool, heated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so he gets found out, and thus begins the cursing. 
I really like this. I also think the cursing is a tight title <laughs> for <laughs> for this. He's like, don't you mean some... just curse? They're like, no, the cursing. <laughs> if you add some extra S's in there, maybe it can be like the cursing. <laughs> cursing, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> for the snakes, if you didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to help me. I've been cursing it. Don't you just mean cursed? I said what I said, Barbara. Jesus Christ. Um. I really like this. I really like this. Okay, so this is like now a movie about, you know, <laughs> this guy that gets hired to do this and then is effectively hired a second time to get to teach him a lesson. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I guess he would be sort of it would be interesting like to maybe even keep a theme going with our first story. There could be like a body swap. Like he ends up in the body of one of the snakes and the snake's consciousness ends up like in his body. Oh shit. Um, or something like that. Yeah. Just because like, I kind of don't know narratively how to keep it going. If he is like split up into this swarm of 42 horned lizards and nine snakes. Yeah. Hive mind doesn't really translate to the screen. Yeah. It's, it's a little tough. complicated. Um, works better in a novel. Um, now here's a question. What's his like personal life like? Like, does he have a family that will be delighted to have a speechless, bewildered snake <laughs> in like snake possessed look, version of him that's just like look, much the, nicer by the virtue of the not speechless, having a bewildered yeah. snake pay the bills? <laughs> like, you know, does the speechless, <laughs> bewildered snake keep that like MasterCard going? I mean, because I suspect. I suspect that that is the only relationship this man has with his like wife and children. I see. I see. You, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Maybe he's slowly changing. And when he goes back home, like his kids are like the only ones who like notice that dad has like some scales or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed how like dad has mostly been subsisting by unhinging his jaw and like eating hamsters whole? And everyone is just like, dang, you will. You know, you know Bob, like that's just Bob being Bob. He's always had a couple of quirks. Why is dad taking like hours long sun baths on that <laughs> rock outside? Maybe that's the last straw when he like eats the family hamster and gets kicked out of the house by, by his, his wife and kids. <laughs> I so want to find out where, what other horrifying places this goes, but like that's time. So I think that that is where we need wow. to leave the cursing. Oh my god. Yeah, but like sinning. but I love that. <laughs> oh my god. That's wild. Holy shit, the VR experience is going to be big business. Oh boy, 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 boy. Ay ay ay. Well, I need to go shed this skin to recover from that experience. Um, but once I'm done with that, we're going to be right back with more No Bad Ideas and more of our guest Sam Long. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello there, Zach Valenti jumping into this episode with this brief reminder that we have an active Patreon page to support the production of No Bad Ideas and all the other crazy worlds we're building behind the scenes. To check that out, scope the sweet rewards we offer for monthly subscriptions as well as how to sign up yourself. 
head on over to nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. If you already support the show, we so appreciate that. And regardless, thank you for listening. All right, let's get back to more No Bad Ideas. Ah, feeling fresh with that skin shed. Back for the second half with Sam <laughs> <So> Long. <gross>. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, it is such a pleasure to have you with us. And I'd love to kick off this conversation with just a, a sort of superhero origin story. How did you find yourself in the audio space? And how do you think about it as somebody who is very much a musician, but is also now a podcast producer in your own right? Man, that's a really good question. The superhero origin story probably starts around the time when I met you, Zach, and almost met you, Gabrielle, well, well, well. Um, back at Wesleyan. But before that, I, I was part of some high school bands and things. And I remember the first time uh, I ever entered a studio was in high school. It was actually in a friend's house. They just, the dad had a, a, a studio. He slapped a bass. He was, he had a really, he had uh, silver hair and a little goatee and stuff. And he was the cool dad. Awesome. So he, had, he had a studio in the house and it's, it kind of takes me full circle because I kind of want to be that kind of dad. But anyway, uh, back to the beginning of the story from there, I went to Wesleyan and Wesleyan for, for those who don't know, just had the, the most amazing music scene. And I was a part of a couple different bands there, but really from, from my, the music scene that brought you MGMT. Oh my God. So, so many different groups. It's incredible. And I think one of the things that made that, that music scene so robust was the fact that we had all these student run shows. Yeah. And I was a part of something called the, uh, the Wesleyan sound co-op. So so I was a part of that for all four years and then became sort of the manager of it my senior year. And we had enough sound equipment. Equipment It was mostly broken and uh, missing parts and things, but we were able to put on basically three shows over, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday every single week. Wow. You know, be it like, you know, uh, plays and things for, for second stage or dance parties in the, in the West Coast basement or, uh, or shows at, at one of the, you know, the frat scenes. And that just made it so that any band that really wanted to form and play a show, there were so many spaces to do that in. So I got to experience a lot of that as a musician and playing those shows, but I also got to run so many shows from behind the soundboard and really just working on my ears, you know, like developing a sound for what sounds the best. And that was sort of the first job that I was able to get right out of college was as a, a sound engineer working in Wilmington, Delaware, when I moved to, to Philadelphia. And then, and then after that, working in Philadelphia as a live sound engineer. So I really sort of cut my teeth that way. And uh, we talked about this, you know, at the at the beginning of this program, but um, I was also a part of a band called Honey and the Sting. And just to, just, we're doing this a little, not chronologically, and that's all right. 
Um, what instruments do you play? Like when you say that you're oh, a musician, yeah, yeah. let's paint a picture for our audience. Is it sure, yes, just uh, a dreaded recorder and nothing else? Or are you one oh of those like multi-instrumentalists? Don't you attack the recorder like that. I don't know, man. The recorder is the bane of my existence. I, I remember crying <laughs> in the bathroom in third grade because I didn't practice recorder and my teacher was mad at me. Oh. Uh, no, we but I'm recent, more of a... We recently had an episode with Alan Rohde, also from the Wesleyan music scene, and yeah. he talked extensively about how now that he's a music educator he uh, really yeah. dislikes the recorder <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure yeah I, I i um i didn't have like a traditional sort of um you know growing up i, di- I didn't play any any instrument in particular but i really loved to sing hmm. and it was sort of inspired by uh musicals my my grandparents used to sing like show tunes to me growing up and through like middle school even in elementary school we had like a a showcase of like i sang like camelot and like all these sort of old show tunes and things and then going through high school i was involved in a lot of the, a lot of the musical theater plays i played like the beast and beauty and the beast we uh, my, my high school prince. put on thank you very oh, much. of course yes yes um and uh we ended up doing one of the first um we were one of the first high schools in the country to do high school musical <laughs> And no I, way! I, I did. I played Troy in High School Musical. The the, so, the Zephron role. You were you were the I, I Zephron was, of your I high was, school. Yes, and let me tell you, I've never been a part of something where we like sold out every single show. I was like famous in my town. Like I would go to like the grocery store, like the ice cream place, and people would recognize me. It was like very Amazing. very strange. That's awesome. it didn't last that long, but that was a really fun role. And I guess I just love that sort of performance aspect of it. And using my voice creatively, that sort of led me to learning guitar because guitar is a perfect instrument to sort of accompany yourself while you while you get to sing. So I think that's really been kind of at the the core of my musicality is the voice and uh, particularly, particularly singing in harmony. So when I wanted to develop a project for my senior thesis, I put together a group of performers who could play instruments, but also had just the most amazing voices. And uh, that group was called Honey in the Sting. And uh, it's hard to believe that it, it was like 10 years ago that we got together and started making that music. But uh, I was able to, my senior year of college, I was able to basically take off the second semester just to write and and uh, practice and, and perform this music. And just to build this up like a little bit more, like, yeah. you know, you say a group of performers who could sing, but like the people in Honey and This Thing, if you were kind of a person in the Wesleyan music scene circa like 2012, 2013, these were like the Avengers. Like these were people that if you were paying attention to like the music scene, you know, oh my God, like Mel, how like these guys were like amazing. And they were people that like, if you had been, if you had seen any musical performance at Wesleyan, chances are that you'd seen them in some capacity and had your mind thoroughly blown. And that was the thing too. Like I was behind the 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 music board, like the the soundboard for a lot of their projects. So I I got to know them pretty well, and we were friends like inside of the the music community and outside of it, just hanging out. And yeah, they were kind of. It was actually kind of uh, looking back on it. It was kind of like nerve wracking asking them to be a part of like, do you want to be a part of like my thesis? Because like, that's that's kind of the experience that uh, music majors have at Wesleyan is like, you have to get your band together. You have to get your group together. And and I wanted it to be something more than that. 
I really wanted to, it to be, oh man, I'm a Marvel fan. So like, like the Avengers, like this group that really collaborates well and creates something that's, that's so much more than, than just the, 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 you know, parts of, 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 of who we are. Um, totally. and, and those musicians have gone on to, uh, be part of more projects and, and have their own solo careers now. And, um, I definitely encourage you to, to check, check them out. We will, to the best of our ability and the best of our memory, include hopefully some links to what folks are up to in the episode description for this episode. So, yeah, lovely. uh, future Gabrielle, remember to do that. Um, mm-hmm. but also like show them some love people. These are unbelievable musicians. And if you like honey in this thing, and I know that many of you Wolf Tree 59 listeners do, you can hear its legacy alive and well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we were also able, I was also able to feature another song on your, your, um, your past projects unseen. So yeah. So there was another group that came out of Wesleyan, uh, me and Eric Sherman put together a group called Sour Flower, which is more of like a, it's more like a rock duo kind of thing. So there's another song in hidden in one of your, uh, unseen episodes that's called magic fitting. Oh yes. Which was unbelievable timing. Um, just that you happen to have written a song that happened to be about magic and happened to be thematically perfect right at the time we were like, we really need like something that sounds like it would actually play at a bar. And it was, yeah, just divine timing. And it was a little bit, it's funny, like, Process-wise, it kind of ended up being a little bit backwards from how it was with Paradise Valley because with that, we had we were starting to plan the big special that kicked off season four. We knew that we wanted to have kind of this song element that for once in the fucking show's history was a contemporary song instead of like a classical piece from the 1800s. Um, <laughs> And so we were kind of starting down the onerous process, the onerous process of like, where are we going to get this song? Who can we talk to? Like, who's going to give us like the rights? And we happened to go see a Honey and the Sting show in New York. And I was instantly like, what process? I know exactly what I want. And I know exactly like who the people that should have the song be in there. And you were the first and only people that we talked to about that. And then with this new song, Magic, it was like, Zach mentioned it and, you know, and it was like, well, if we find a place, and I think that me and Sarah were like, if we find a place, we will find a place for this. This is too good. And we kind of, I think, like tried it out. We kind of auditioned it in a couple of different episodes and we were always like, no, we got to do right by it. It needs to like feel right in the scene. Um, And eventually we sort of found a place for it. I think it works really, really well. And I was a fan of Wolf 359 and then you guys asked me and that was so exciting to be have our, our voice like inside of your your podcast. And then you came out with Unseen, which is, oh my gosh, such a such an, an amazing take on like magic in the real world. And I was a fan of that. And I was like, I have a song about magic. Do you want to use it? it? <laughs> and we were thrilled to use it. Yeah, it was it was it was great. So yeah, I, I think um that kind of brings us full circle to, uh, me, uh, I, I moved from Philadelphia where we had, I, I was part of this like large music community that was really still based on friends from Wesleyan. Like I was living with 
Mel Sue from Honey in the Sting and Hal Pearson from Honey in the Sting. And I was part of a project with David Thompson and 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 Hal called Big Tusk, which was which was a band when we were in Philadelphia. And then Eric Sherman came into it and he was from Wesleyan and we were we were part of Sourflower. And then I moved from Western Massachusetts and I really didn't have like a musical community up here. I moved up here to be part of like a spiritual community. And mm. there are lots of musicians up up here who are in that that realm, um, but it's not really the same. And and living in like a city is totally different than what I live where I live now, which is like in the woods, you know. Yeah. And to to be able to get to anyone's house, it's like a forty five minute drive. Like that's that's not really wow. conducive to the type of um, you know. There, I, I I've definitely noticed that I'm most productive at least at least like in in having like outlets and like create creative uh things that i'm able to just like put out there when i have a community around me i mean if, if you think about wesleyan like that was such an incredible community of musicians and we were all like pushing each other to be better and then that sort of continued in my life in philadelphia and now i'm up here and i'm, I'm searching for the next thing so um of course we had the pandemic over the last couple of years but uh i i am on um I'm on the up and ups. I, I have a positive outlook for the next couple of years where uh, more musicians can get together and uh, hoping that that sparks more creative endeavors. That's awesome. And to answer the question that probably a lot of our listeners are asking right now, no, we do not work on commission for Wesleyan University. We do not get like a signing bonus whenever someone that listens to one of these shows and applies to Wesleyan University, even though it sometimes may seem that way from how often we talk about it. But no, but I think that it's everything that you just said. It's just kind of like that sense of community and that sense of really cool people figuring out how to do their cool things and then sharing them with the other people around them. Like the place itself was really special for us when we were there and it continues to be really special in the community that it's given us in the aftertimes. Yeah, very much so. Before we have to unfortunately wrap up, I did want to ask you, Sam, what your experience is now being on the other side of that uh, vaunted gate of podcasting producer mm-hmm. um, and just like what has been your experience creating the show that you've created and, and what is your relationship uh, to the material of that show? Uh, you mentioned sort of the spiritual community uh, that you moved to Massachusetts for. Love to hear about that. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I moved up to Western Massachusetts to be around uh, my wife's family. Um, and they started a spiritual spiritual community in Massachusetts 44 years ago now. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and it's a, a community based on earth-centered spiritual beliefs. Um, it's sort of the pagan umbrella, which includes Wicca, but also includes animism. And uh, I guess my my wife's family's brand of paganism paganism is more like the celtic animist for those out there who know about that kind of stuff but uh i've been a part of the community now for like 10 or 11 years and we have gatherings throughout the year um where we meet up we're going to have rites of spring in person actually this this coming uh, May and registration is up for that if if there's any pagans who are interested in, in getting together with with some other really nice people outside in in a beautiful space next to a lake which 
is, is sort of what drew me in. But I was able to really connect with a lot of the amazing people who have sort of been accrued by the community over the the you know past decades and there's just some amazing people who have really been able to incorporate spirituality into their lives that I really respect and I've been able to talk with 24 of them over the last two seasons and really get their insight into how they started, what sort of practice they they practice, and how it really improves their lives and the people around them. And I think that's really valuable for anybody who's sort of searching for that type of spirituality in their lives. So I definitely encourage you to listen to it. It definitely has more of like a hmm, pagan, I, I don't know how else to put it, but uh, new age kind of, kind of feel sure. to it. I kind of come at it as I'm the host and I edit and produce all the all the episodes which is oh my gosh i i have so much respect for for the people who do this i mean zach has been really super fundamental to to teaching me a lot about like the things you would never think about like a distribution service for your podcast like what do you use and allowing me to to kind of grab grab some of of his uh, very fancy software thank you zach and, my pleasure uh, brother hell yeah <laughs> it's been awesome to see you take it further than i have in so many ways but it's it's amazing to kind of create this whole when i when i think of audio producing i think of almost creating a terrarium of hmm. of of sound it's very visual to me so i'm thinking about like where to place all the different things to create the environment in the sound space that that we're going to exist in so to create this hour-long sort of conversation i love to weave in different music that i compose i love like creating the the score for it that's a huge part of it for me but even like getting down to like the minutiae of like editing people's voices and like the linguistic kind of patterns that people have and taking out like different pauses and ums and and their little ticks and things like that actually gets me like really excited so i love that kind of thing um, um, like I just said, um, wow, I can think about like how I would edit that later. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> or did you just say, um, or did I? Wow. Thank you, Zach, Whoa. for doing the editing on this. <laughs> but anyway, I'm having a lot of fun and we're only a, a year in, we have 24 episodes up. We're hoping I'm on a hiatus right now. We're hoping to start up again in, um, actually on Passover, we're going to have an, an episode on the connections between Judaism and pag- paganism from a cool. really well-respected member of our community. Community. Her name is Hobbit, and she's awesome. And I can't wait for for talking with her. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, sit down to talk with her very soon. Alrighty, folks. I think that that is time for this episode of No Bad Ideas. Um, but Sam, thank you so much for coming on and for putting up with our invasive cranial procedures and our reptiles and our horned lizards and all of our nosy questions. Um, If people are now feeling nosy themselves and they want to um, follow you, follow your work, follow like these things that you're doing, what's the best place to go? Where can they check you out? Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me on. Um, The best way to to check out my uh, things going on uh, would be to go to the website, www.singinglandstudio.com. 
You can find a lot of the projects that we talked about there, including the podcast. If you want to listen to the podcast, it's available. The Earth Spirit Voices podcast is available on all streaming platforms. And the best way to search for it is to just type into your search bar, Earth Spirit, one word. Beautiful. Alrighty. Well, I think we're all going to go check that out, but then we'll be back next week, dear listeners, with more No Bad Ideas. Sam, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thanks, guys. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesher and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love. 